Good evening, everyone. Good evening. We're still on Sunday evenings looking at this character called Solomon in the Old Testament. And tonight we're looking at the story of a queen that came to visit Solomon, the queen of Sheba. And we're reading from 1 Kings chapter 10, and I'm beginning at verse 1 down to verse 13. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue and with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. That was not, there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food for his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half had not been told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, and a very great quantity of of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Aram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almogwood and precious stones. And the king made of the almogwood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almogwood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Good Lord, I pray again that, Lord God, your word would tonight be our rule, that your Holy Spirit tonight would be our teacher, and that the glory of the Lord Jesus would be what concerns us most. So pour out your Spirit upon all of us who are listening, and Lord, please upon me as I speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're into this incredible story of this uh, queen who comes to visit a king, who comes to visit King Solomon. It wasn't unusual uh, during the reign of Solomon to find that there were female monarchs in Arabia. There were a number of them, indeed, from, uh, from long before Solomon. It wasn't unusual to find this. This queen, this queen of Sheba, finds her way actually into the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. We read, for example, in Matthew 12, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. She's a a Gentile woman who recognizes the truth about God, who comes searching for truth, I believe, and who comes searching for God as well as for other things as well. We read in Luke chapter 11, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So let's have a look at this lady this evening. There's, we're going to look at this lady under five headings tonight from these verses. First of all, there's what the queen of Sheba heard. Verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. So this queen, this woman, had heard about Solomon's fame. His fame had traveled to nations far from where he reigned, and she'd heard about his fame. But she'd also heard about Solomon's God, and she'd heard not just about his fame, but she'd heard about the name of the Lord Almighty, and she recognizes that somehow Solomon's fame and Solomon's God are linked. She recognizes something of that incredible truth. She recognizes, it seems to me, that the hand of God was on Solomon's life, that God was the one who had given to Solomon a wise heart and had given to Solomon a discerning heart, and that it was the Lord who also had been blessing Solomon in other ways as well as making him wise. We read back in 1 Kings 3 where Solomon had asked for wisdom and God says this, Behold, now do I do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and a discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, it would appear, as, and we've discovered this as we've dug into these uh, first uh, 12 chapters in the book of Kings during these past weeks, that actually Solomon didn't always walk as well with God or keep the commandments of God as he might have done. 
He didn't walk in as much obedience to God as, as, as perhaps he, he could have done. He wasn't as faithful to God to the very end of his days as he might have been. You will have often, often, often heard me say that it's really, really important that we finish our lives well. And that those of you who are young uh, really ought to be allowing God to sow into your lives His Word, to so fill your lives with His Spirit, to so bring your lives under the authority of God's commandments that you live and that I will live and that we'll all live our lives well to the very, very end. That we'll serve God to the end of our days and that we would finish up loving God more at the end of our lives than we've even loved him throughout our lives. That we'd end up serving him to the very end of our days. Forgive me for mentioning this evening, I haven't done this for many, 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 many years, and his wife is not here this evening, my mother-in-law's not here, but mentioning my father-in-law, Teddy Saunders. As his life uh, drew towards a close, and we had moved to Belfast to live, and he'd moved to live close by us, he was no longer to able to physically stand to preach. So we had to get him a, a stool that he would sit on to preach God's word. And then the time came when he was no longer able to leave his home to preach. So he said to me, can I write the parish magazine every month so that he could write articles from, from God's word? And he had many of us, including some who are here this evening, were summonsed to him. It was quite like a summons in his latter days. And he asked us very graciously to do lots of different things. And he had different things that he wanted different people to do, not for his good, but actually for the, the benefit of the church here in Belfast and indeed for the benefit of the church in Ireland. Those things were significant things. He finished well. He finished really, really well. It wasn't an easy finish physically, but spiritually he finished so well. He finished life so, so well. And friends, that's the challenge that we find here in these chapters about Solomon, that we would finish well, that we would finish loving and serving and worshiping and pleasing and honoring and following and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would go on all of our days being filled with God the Holy Spirit, that we would fall more and more and more and more in love with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we would increasingly want to know and understand and obey and live our lives in obedience to the commandments and to the Word of God. And you find that that maybe is something that was just slipping away in Solomon's life. And it arises here in these verses about the visit of the Queen of Sheba. She was, having said all of that, attracted to the God who had been at work and who had blessed Solomon. She's attracted to the wisdom of Solomon because it's the wisdom of God that God had given to him. 
And friends, as you turn to the Scriptures and as you turn to the New Testament, you discover this about Jesus, that he was incredibly, incredibly attractive and people were drawn to him. And people are still drawn to men and women in whom the Spirit of God is at work. And people are still drawn today to people who are increasingly becoming more Christ-like in their lives. When Jesus walked the dusty roads of Galilee, people were attracted to him. We read in Matthew 4, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those afflicted by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. The Queen of Sheba had heard about Solomon, but she'd also heard about Solomon's God and something in what she heard caused her to do something. Secondly, there's what the Queen of Sheba did. Verses 1 and 2. She came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. She made a long journey. It was a long journey. It's probably about 1,200 miles, probably from Yemen in the southwest corner of Arabia, all the way to Jerusalem and to Solomon. And she made that journey probably on, on a camel, all of that distance. She comes with large amounts of gifts as well, bearing incredible amounts of gifts. It's partly a diplomatic visit that she's on, probably with the view to securing a good trade deal. Uh, she's smart enough to know that Solomon uh, con controls all the trade routes all about her, and so she wants a good trade deal. We could do with her to negotiate some of the Brexit stuff, couldn't we? And she makes her way to King Solomon. She makes her way to Solomon, but she makes her way to drawn by the very presence of God, it would appear to me as I read these verses. She makes a move, and she makes this journey to where Solomon is, therefore a move towards Solomon's God. And you know, Jesus gives us that invitation to come to him, to move towards him, to keep moving towards him, to keep pursuing him. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that daily living for us? Uh, pressure, worry, anxiety, uh, difficulties, opposition, joys and triumphs and great times as well, but in the midst of life, that we would be those who are pressing into God, that we would be those who are drawing near to God, that we would be those that are wanting to get closer to God, that we would those, be those who would want to be cleaner in the presence of God, that we would be those who would want to become more Christ-like in who we are and in how we serve and in how we live. We have the opportunity, all of us, to come to Jesus at times for healing, to come to Jesus for knowledge and for guidance and for wisdom, to come to Jesus to have him restore and
put back in us again his peace and fill us again with his rest and with his presence. To come to the cross, repent of our sin and to be forgiven and cleansed again and again and again. To be healed and to be set free from a past that maybe would imprison us if we don't allow Christ to break those chains and to set us free. To be led into a relationship with God that's deeper, that's more precious, that's closer, that's more intimate, that's more filled with the knowledge of God and the fear of God than it has been maybe up until this point. But the Queen of Sheba had to make a journey. It was a long journey. It probably took her a long, long time, actually, to make that journey. She didn't certainly do it in a day. I was talking to someone just yesterday about a, a, a visit or a trip that I might make. And, I'll, you know, if I make it, I'll jump on a plane and I'll, I'll be there in a day and I'll jump on a plane again and I'll be home in a day. It wasn't like that for the Queen of Sheba on her, on her, on her camel. It would have taken time. It would have been a challenging trip. But she chose to do it. She chose to make that journey. She chose to get to where Solomon was and to encounter this man and to meet his God. There's what she heard. There was what she did. She did something. And thirdly, there's what she saw. Now, this bit really really kind of challenged me as I looked at this just yesterday. There were eight things that were told that this queen saw in verses 4 and 5. Depends on the version, actually, that you read as to whether it's 7 or 8, depending on how they're sort of grouped together. But I'll read them from this version. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. She was just overwhelmed, in other words. Now, it's a really interesting order that these things come in. Perhaps suggesting that Solomon's worship of God is sort of tainted by, by Solomon's importance about himself. Solomon was getting in the way. Solomon himself and his love of himself and his desire for pleasure of all types was beginning, as you read down these things that she, this queen that comes a distance sees, is they're clearly getting in the way of Solomon's devotion to God, love for God, commitment to God, centrality of God in his life. And there's always a danger of that in all of our lives. There's a danger of that in my life and, and in your life and in all of our lives at different seasons in life, that danger comes to us in different ways. Let's look at these things that she sees. First of all, she sees the wisdom of Solomon. The very fact that it says she sees the wisdom of Solomon is disturbing because Solomon didn't have any wisdom. The wisdom that Solomon had had been given him to him, by God, it was God's wisdom that was in Solomon. It was God's wisdom that Solomon had. 
not Solomon's wisdom. Secondly, she sees the palace that he had built. It gets mentioned before the temple. Mark pointed out to us a week or two ago that it was a lot bigger than the temple. It cost a lot more to build than the temple. There was a a lot more wealth put into his own palace than he had put into the temple. And again, she sees the palace, but there's no mention here of the God that had provided all the resources with which he built this palace and all the skills with which the palace was built because everything that we have comes from the Lord. We forget that. We forget that so quickly. We're so frail in that that we forget that all that we have comes from him and of his own, of his own, we give him. Then we're told thirdly that she sees the food on his table. She notes that before noting anything of the sacrifices that might be offered in the temple. She sees the roast lamb on the table before the sacrificial lamb in the temple. She sees the fowl that's splendid, I'm sure, on his table before the doves that would have been offered as sacrificial uh, worship in, in the temple. She sees the food on his table. There's something actually really sad about that. That little phrase actually is a really sad phrase. Next mentioned are his officials and how they're seated. The seating of the officials, not the seating of the priests or the Levites or the singers in the temple, but the seating of Solomon's officials. Then next she sees the attending servants in their robes. It's all about Solomon. It is all about Solomon here. Then she sees his cupbearers. And only then after that do we get a mention of the burnt offerings that he made at the temple of the Lord. And even there, there's not much by way of mention of the worship of his many, many wives or the worship of his subjects or of his courtiers. There's not a lot, really, a matter of a few words, really, about anything to do with worship in the temple. Comes at the very end here of the things that she sees and gets a bit of a nod, really. I think that this account of what the Queen of Sheba sees reminds us of how important it is of what we focus our hearts and fix our eyes on. Of of what we commit our time to and our money to and our lives to and our energy to and our thinking to. Our our, our thinking actually maybe tells a story of, of what's on our hearts. The things that we think about most maybe tell a story about where our hearts are in terms of our love and our devotion to Jesus and to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 
None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I wonder how much of our focus and of our desiring and of our praying and of our longing and of our seeking the wisdom of God, of our wanting to grow in fearing God and putting God central in our lives and, and loving God and, and allowing God just to transform us and change us from the inside out. I wonder how much of that how much of that lifts our eyes to heaven and lifts our hearts towards eternity and, and enables us to so live our lives for the benefit of others and for the glory of Jesus Christ so that somehow we're fixed on heaven and on eternity and on investing in our own future and in the future of others in glory. Is it about knowing Christ and him crucified? Is it about humbly trusting in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is it about giving our lives more and more and more to him? The way to knowledge, the way to loving God, the road to more knowledge is to love God more, to love God more, to know God more. Just as I was going over this this afternoon and thinking about this, there was a whole load of words beginning with the letter P that just came flying into my head. I'll just throw them at you like, like sort of just like that there. Is that okay? Just having time to preach on all of them. Prostrate. Praying. Pleading. Plenteous and filling. Perfect peace. The purposes of God our priorities. Oh, that God would so grip my life and grip my heart and grip your heart and life that when people look at us, they would see priorities that really are not the world's priorities, but godly priorities. There's what the Queen of Sheba heard. There's what the Queen of Sheba did. There's what the Queen of Sheba saw. Fourthly, and there's only two more to go and it won't be long. There's what the Queen of Sheba said. Verses 6 to 9. Verses 6 to 9, I'll just read them here. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. This woman's overwhelmed. Her words express that sense of awe at what she sees in Solomon and 
in uh, his wealth and in his wisdom and in all that's connected to him, even though uh, it's all in, in the upside down way to what it might have been. And her words lead to something really incredible. This Gentile woman from a foreign nation worships Solomon's God. And actually, it would look like her worship of God actually probably teaches Solomon a lesson about how he should be worshiping God. Behold, she says, Blessed be the Lord your God, verse 9, who has delighted in you. She's pointing out to Solomon what Solomon should have known and been so aware of. He has set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. She knows more about God's favor on Solomon than Solomon knows about God's favor on himself. She offers to Solomon's God worship and acknowledges this incredible truth that the hand of God is upon the nation of Israel for the purposes of the redemption of the nations of the earth. She understands these incredible, deep spiritual truths that seem to be kind of gone adrift for Solomon himself. And I find it intriguing that this woman's impact on Solomon is that significant amounts of the gifts that she gives him, to give him credit, he uses this for the building and for the support of the temple and for the music and for the worship of the temple. It seems to me that actually her words impact him, maybe more than his actually in truth impact her. Clearly the Holy Spirit is at work in the worship that's going on here from this queen of Sheba in her words and in her generosity because she brings gifts. She comes bearing incredible gifts. And I'm just reminded of how if we are really in a, in a relationship with God where we're digging into his word, where we're spending time in his word, where we're seeing something of who the this Jesus is in all his beauty and in all his splendor and we're in that place we're allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our lives more and more and more that Paul's words should actually become our words. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. There's what you heard, there's what you did, there's what you saw, there's what you said, and now finally there's what she got, what she receives. I love this, verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then it says in verse 13, and King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired. Whatever she asked beside what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. She received of the king's riches. She'd come in truth partly 
maybe largely to secure a trade deal. And she goes home with a good deal. She got Brexit right, her Brexit right. She goes home with a good deal. She goes home a happy woman. She secures her deal. That's what it seems to say here. King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired. Mrs. May didn't get that. Whatever she asked, beside what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon, so she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. Incredible. The Lord blesses her in this way. She received the king's riches. For us, there is wealth untold and it's not earthly wealth. It's not earthly wealth. I am not, not, not preaching a prosperity gospel. I am saying that there's wealth untold, that there's spiritual riches, that there's depths for us to to really dig into in terms of our walk with God, that there's so much more we can know by way of the presence of God, that there are that there's a relationship that we can dig deeper into, that we can fear God more, that we can walk closer with God, that we can so desire to be cleaner before God, that we might desire to be those that would walk a clean walk with God, fearing God, loving God, serving God, so honoring God and living our lives for God that our lives for Him would count that whatever we are or whatever we're doing that it would be for God and for God's glory and for the purposes of seeing his kingdom come. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, to me though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's incredible that this Gentile woman seems to experience something in her visit to Jerusalem of the grace of God. Something. For Paul, who brought the good news of Jesus Christ and others who brought the good news of Jesus Christ to a Gentile world, it was tough, it was costly, it was painful. Most of them died martyrs' death. But here's the thing. All of them would say it was worth it all. It was worth it all. Friends, let's get this. Let's choose to believe this. Let's so position ourselves before the Lord God Almighty that we would be those who would want to so know him, love him, follow him, serve him, preach him, teach him, share him, make him known that no matter what the cost, it would be worth it all. Perhaps this woman deserved to be treated well by Solomon. Perhaps she didn't. Who knows? You and I deserve nothing from God. Nothing. Nothing. It's all of grace. It's all out of his mercy. We deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. 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 But our privilege as the people of God is that Christ was presented to us Some people somewhere led us to Christ, discipled us in Christ, shared Christ with us. And it's now our privilege, our privilege to share Christ and to make Christ known to others. May we get this right. May we get this right. May we so position ourselves before God that 
it would be that we would live our lives in such a way that when the things that are about us, when people look at us, that they would be listed in the right order. That it would be Christ and the things of Christ at the very top and very few at the very bottom and that they would be falling off the bottom more and more and more as we get older and as we grow in knowledge and love for the Lord Jesus. Will you please stand with me? Lord, I simply want to ask tonight that every word that hasn't been in line with the heart of God, with the truth of who you are, Lord God, and in line with your word, Lord God, that those that anything like that would fall to the ground and die and we wouldn't even remember it. But Lord, that everything else would please take root in us. Please, Lord, root your word in us. Please root your truth in us more and more and more and more. Please fill us increasingly with your Holy Spirit more and more and more and more. Please grant, Lord, that our lives would become more and more like the life and like the person of Jesus. Make me make each of us more Christ-like in who we are. And Lord, so fix our eyes and fix our gaze and fix our focus and position our priorities, Lord, on the things that will last forever on heaven and on eternity and on the needs of people around us, Lord, to be brought with us to heaven's glory, that, Lord God, we would give our whole life to the very end, to the things that would last forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.